we're going to talk about today Jesus. You know, Jesus. I mean, if we go to church, we should be good to talk about Jesus. But a play on words, Jesus. You know, like his name is J-E-S-U-S. But if you just capitalize the last two, Jesus has the words us in it. And we're going to talk about today why baptism. Somebody might say, well, I got baptized a long time ago. But I, and normally when we do baptisms, we don't teach like this on this subject. And I think it's super important because so many people, you know, I think need uh, clarity. Even people who know this will be helpful because baptism really, it never saves anybody. Baptism is the result of somebody already being saved. And what baptism does, and so when we read through these verses, it will help you in your own life if you're a believer. Baptism literally uh, shows us uh, and tells us what Jesus did when he died, when he was buried, when he rose, when he was uh, made alive in spirit or quickened as the Bible calls it, and then raised up and seated to the right hand of God. And so baptism is very interesting because it's a very common term, not in our day and age, but back in Bible times, baptism was not a strange word. It was a common word. It, it was a word that uh, that was... I don't want to say thrown around, but it was used often. And so some of the common meanings of baptism back then were things like this. means to put a small vessel, you know, like a small cup, into a big uh, barrel, maybe, or container, and draw out fluid. And if you remember, most people lost or saved, maybe more lost people know this verse. What was Jesus's? first miracle turning water into wine because if you ever talk to people they're like you know whether it's right or wrong to drink the first scripture they all know is well Jesus turned water into wine well if you can turn water into wine then we'll talk about the next part but when it says he said he turned the water into wine then he said put in a vessel and draw out it meant put a small vessel in and draw out that literally is from baptism and, and another term is this, when it, baptism, and I love this one, it means to dye a cloth. And most fabric back then was baptized. See, people in their mind are like, did it get saved? No, that's not what it's talking about. Baptism literally means to take like a white piece of cloth and put it into dye, and then when you pull the cloth out, whatever it was put into, it takes on all of the qualities of what it was put into. That's why there are scriptures like this that say, those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, when you get put into Christ, you take on his life, his nature, in your spirit. And we're going to look at that. So baptism was a common term. Baptism does not save people. It, when I say baptism, I mean water baptism. 
And so today we're going to look at a few things here for about 30 minutes or so. Some of them, I think, will help clarify how we read the Bible. Somebody might say, well, what do you mean clarify how we read the Bible? Well, the term baptism is used often or throughout the New Testament. And when we look at a couple of scriptures, we're going to clarify a baptism, what it means and, and things like that. And it will, I believe, bring such clarity to people. And so baptism really shows the work of Christ. When I say that, water baptism shows the work of Christ. So open up your Bibles to Galatians 2.20 and we're going to start. And you're going to notice something right here, right away, uh, that is quite interesting. Galatians 2 verse 20. Galatians 2 verse 20. And I'll begin reading here. And we may read the 21st verse too. But it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified. You could say it like this. Every person or every believer has been crucified with Christ. Somebody say, wait a minute, I wasn't there when he died. But you have to remember this. Everybody in the world needs to know this. Jesus did not die for himself. And when he died, he didn't die for his own sin. The death he died, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was an innocent man dying for the guilty. And so when we look at Jesus going to the cross, you have to realize, really, he went to the cross for you and for the world. Therefore, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. The way God looked at it when Jesus went to the cross, he was suffering the penalty. It'd be like somebody else going to jail for your wrongdoing. And back then, this would have been exactly like the electric chair, or, but we, at least in our country, you know, some, you know, sometimes you hear like the electric chair didn't work right or the, the, you know, the shots they injected didn't work right. And people get all upset like, wow, that was inhumane. This kind of death was super inhumane. It was the most painful way to die slow. And what's interesting is Jesus was crucified and he was whipped and both of them were capital punishment or ways to kill people. And it's interesting, the Bible said, I was crucified with Christ. You, every Christian could say, I was crucified with Christ. It's interesting, he said after, he said, though he was crucified with Christ, he said, it's no longer I who live. So, so when you were crucified, there's a part of you that died. Now, it wasn't a physical part of you, and it wasn't a mental part of you. Another verse said, my old man was crucified with Christ. In other words, some part of human existence was crucified with Christ. 
And with any type of study, you recognize it's the spiritual part of man. When Adam and Eve died or ate that forbidden fruit, it said they both died. But they didn't die physically and they didn't die mentally. Spiritually, they got separated from the life of God. Sin had entered into their spirit and they died. Death does not mean the absence of existence. You with me? When people die physically, they do not cease to exist. They just leave their body. So the Bible said the spirit without the body is dead being alone. Notice it didn't say the spirit dies. It said the body does, but the spirit leaves. It's that spiritual part of us that was crucified, and he said with Christ, and he said, it's no longer I who live, but notice this phrase. But Christ lives in me. How many kids, when they come to know the Lord, they make this statement, Jesus lives in my heart. Jesus lives in me. Well, they're pretty uh, right on with that statement. He said, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. So he's talking about in our existence here. He said, I live by faith or trust in the Son of God. Notice the phrase, I was crucified. I'm going to read the next verse. Or we'll finish with that. He said, by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And we could all say this. He loved you. Even if you're not perfect, even if you failed as a Christian, he still loves you. you. You know, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but I think sometimes people don't like to hear it because they think that fear will motivate people and that shame will motivate people. I found fear doesn't motivate people the right way, nor does shame. And the Bible said when we call on the Lord, he will, he will answer us and we won't be put to shame. Shame is not from God. And so when he said here, who loved me and gave himself for me, the giving of himself was when he died on the cross. And he's saying this work was so profound, it was as if I was there. And the truth of the matter is, it was like all humanity was there. And then it goes on to say, I do not set aside the grace or literally the gift of God. For if righteousness or good standing with God comes through the law or good works, then Christ died in vain. In other words, you don't get put into right standing by your good works with God. You, you don't. Because if you did, Jesus didn't need to die. You could get into good standing by you doing good works. The only way you get righteous or into right standing or good standing is through faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that through the law, nobody will be justified or declared right before God. It's only by trust in Jesus. That's good news. Because then, for the person who doesn't know the Lord and that tries to be good enough, you can't be. But then the Christian who has received Christ and feels like I'm not good enough 
They need to realize their goodness before God is not based on performance. Now, I know that bugs people, but really that's just self-righteousness. Because there's nobody perfect. But the problem is, is if I look at you and go, well, I'm better than him, then I'm self-righteous, like God will accept me because I'm better than him. But what if somebody looks at me and goes, well, God will accept me because I act better than him, meaning me. You can see, judging among ourselves, that's not the right way. But realizing that trust in Jesus is the right way. And so the first verse we read said, I was crucified with him. Turn to Romans, the sixth chapter, crucified with him. We're going to find some interesting verses that say some interesting things. The first one we looked at was, I was crucified or we were crucified. Every Christian could say that. Every believer in Christ can say that. I was crucified. We're going to see here that we were buried with him. We're going to see another verse that says we were, not only were we crucified, we were buried, we were raised, where we were made alive together, and we were seated. The very image of what water baptism is, is or shows, is the work of Christ. So Romans, the sixth chapter, and each one of these verses we look at even though Christ did the work, one thing you're going to notice is you're there with him. In the mind of God, humanity was there with him. Because we already, didn't we read that verse? I was crucified with him. In other words, when he died, he didn't die for himself. Jesus did not need to die for himself. That kind of death was penalty for wrongdoing, Jesus never did wrong. That's why he was the perfect lamb of God. What do you mean a lamb? Well, in the Old Testament, they had to get, and they'd raise these lambs that were as per perfect as they could be, and then a priest would go and lay their hands on these lambs and put the sin of the people on them symbolically, and then they would uh, e you know, either kill the lamb or let them go out. And the symbol was that that lamb bore the sin of the people. When Jesus came, the first person on the scene, John the Baptist, many people have read about him in the Bible, when Jesus came on the scene, he already had a huge following. They all believed the Savior of the world was coming. And then here came Jesus in his first introduction uh, to humanity was this. John the Baptist looked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The first introduction is, He's going to die for humanity. He's the Lamb. That's what those lambs were for. They were to die for the people. They were to be a sacrifice, a substitute, so that God could look at humanity and see them innocent. Are you with me? Notice this, Romans 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into death? Therefore, notice this phrase, 
We already saw we were crucified with him. Notice this in verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him, died with him on the cross, buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, how did Jesus get raised up from the dead when he was buried? He, the glory and the power of God changed him and raised him up. And it says right here that when he was dead, he was raised by the glory or the power or the spirit of the Father. He said, even so also, by this means, we as believers should walk in new life. Now notice the term there, baptized into Christ, we were buried with him through baptism. Notice this. He said, or do you not know as many as were baptized into Christ? Everybody knows that? Baptized into Christ. What are we doing today? We, at the end of the service, there's uh, several people who are going to get baptized but not into Christ. They're going to get baptized into water. They're going to get baptized into water. Baptism into water shows this work right here. You say, well, why does it say baptized into Christ then? I'm going to read a different verse of Scripture because when it says we were crucified with him, we know that wasn't physical death with him. And when it says we were baptized into Christ, we were then buried with him through this baptism. In other words, we were put down into the earth like with him. That's how God looked at it. When, when a person gets saved, God looks at it like you died with Christ. What he did, he did for you. When he was buried, he did it for you. When he was raised, he did it for you. When he was made alive, he did it for you, and you get that new life. And on and on it goes. And we're going to look at these verses. But here's what we need to realize, and remember I said this earlier. If you see this, it will help you to interpret the Bible properly. If you recognize not every baptism is baptism in water. The Bible even said there's what's called a baptism. It just means to place into. But remember, he's talked about being baptized into Christ. Now I'm going to turn to a verse here in 1 Corinthians, verse 12. Today, Matt, our youth pastor, will be baptizing people in water. So you could say, Matt will put people in water. And Matt will raise people out of the water. That's why we've asked him to work out. <laughs> Stay in shape. You're going to have to lift them up. But notice this phrase that what he talks about baptism into Christ. Not into water, into Christ. Notice this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, 
not by Matt. By one spirit, you were all baptized into one body, which is the body of Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into that one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. What is he saying? Well, there's other verses that tell us the minute a person gets saved, they get taken out of the kingdom of darkness, and they get put into, baptized, into the kingdom of God's dear son. You get put into Christ. In other words, you may not see it, but it's the most profound thing that can happen in all the universe is when a person receives Jesus spiritually, the spirit takes them out of the kingdom of darkness and puts them into Christ and gives them the life of Christ. And at that moment, everything that Jesus did, all that he paid for, it's as though you went through it and there was a profound change that happened in you. You were taken by the Spirit and made brand new. You, you got divine life in your spirit the minute you called on Jesus. Now, we call it being saved, but in all reality, it is being baptized. It's not a physical one. It is a total unseen spiritual one. It literally means you were placed into Christ, and Christ's life came in you. That's profound. That's why you go get baptized in water is because you're demonstrating when he was buried or when he died, he died for me. I've accepted this. When, I, when he was buried, he was buried for me. When he was raised to new life, I was raised to new life. When he was ascended up into heaven, I ascended with him. I'm seated there in a victorious position now. And we can prove this by the word of God. We shouldn't beat down people. Every Christian should be built up to recognize, man, I've got divine life in me. Right? Didn't the Bible say, he who has the son has Zoe. That's a cool name today, you know. I, I was somewhere the other day, and the, the girl that was waiting on me, you know, at the register, her name was Zoe. Little did she know, that's a Greek word. It means the life of God and the quality and kind of life God has. And do you know Jesus, when he first came, one of his great messages to humanity is, I have come that you might have life, or Zoe, God's life. When you receive eternal life, you don't get a ticket to heaven only, and then are left a basket case here. Actually, your spirit becomes made new. Not your mind, not your body, but inwardly there is a huge change by grace. You actually become a child of God, not by works, but by a rebirth of the human spirit. And what people need to realize is, is like this verse, what we don't see when we talk to somebody and say, hey, you want, you know, you believe in, Je I do, I believe in Jesus. You believe he died? Remember, what do you have to believe when a person gets saved? That he died, that he rose again for me. And then you confess him as your Lord. And so if I say, hey, you want to pray and get saved? And she's like, yeah, I do want, I want to do that. And we say, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. I receive you now by faith. We look at that. 
we were talking before service about somebody who recently gave their life to the Lord and said their countenance shows it. It, it, it changes the way people look. Divine life getting in people changes them. And, and so when I do that, we may look and I say, good to pray with you. And she turns around and walks away, and I turn around and walk away. But what she didn't see was the work that happened in her. She will experience it. She'll, she'll have divine life in her. Everything Christ paid for changes her spiritually, not your thoughts. You can have some of the same stupid thoughts you had after you got saved that you had before. Some of you looking at me like, real oh, serious? Whoa. Jesus had bad thoughts, and he never sinned. That'll blow people's minds. So he, we were crucified with him. We were buried with him. This was not water baptism that buried us with him. Water baptism is us showing the world, I died I went down with him, I rose with him, I'm living a new life with him. But not by my own ability. Water baptism is a reflection of something that already happened. So we looked at crucified, we looked at buried, now let's look at raised. Colossians 3 verse 1. Colossians, the third chapter, and verse 1. I'm so glad that the word of God is a living thing. And it penetrates people. And there's life in the word. These words of life should feed a person. To the lost, it should convict them of their need of a savior. To the saved person, it should feed them. Not shame them, but release them to a victorious kind of life. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you were raised, notice crucified, buried if you were raised with christ and he was writing to these christians basically saying if you've given your life to the lord you are raised with christ he said then therefore seek those things which are above that's the first thing we need to do if we've received the lord is start pursuing a walk with him seek those things which are above where christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Notice this. For you died. We already read that. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who now is our life, appears, then we'll also appear with him in glory. But notice this. We were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. Now we've seen that a Christian has been raised with him. This is all a spiritual act. This is really what people are showing, whether they know it or not, when they go get in the water. And they go in, it's showing, I used to live my own life. I used to do my own thing. And when I come out, it shows I'm clean, and I've got a new life ahead of me. Notice, crucified, buried, raised. Turn to Ephesians, the second chapter. This one, all these are awesome, but I think there's just certain things that really need to get ingrained into us as, as Christians. And 
and realize what happened to us was profound. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in trespasses, these are our sins and wrongdoing, he made us alive together with Christ. When we were in spiritual death, we were made alive together spiritually with Christ. Not physically, spiritually. Notice, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Notice verse 6, and raised us up together. Raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. The first thing we need to recognize is when Christ was raised, he actually paid for new life for all of humanity. And that whoever receives Jesus gets new life. And it's interesting, he said, we were made alive together. You, you can't describe to someone who doesn't know the Lord, what new life is. It's indescribable. There's no way to explain. You just have to tell them if they would receive Jesus, they would get new life in them. There would be something that would change. And it does. Not in your mind, not in your body, but there will be a new spiritual force in you. That's why believers are commanded to renew their mind and to think on different things. We need to understand man is a three-part being. He's a spiritual being. He has a soul which made up his mind, will, emotions, and intellect, and he lives in a body according to the Bible. And in that, it helps us to know because sometimes I think people receive the Lord, they recognize, man, there is a change. But why are these sinful thoughts coming into my mind. And they think, and the enemy would try to take advantage of them and say, well, you're just a rotten so-and-so. No, what you need to do, just like Jesus had wrong thoughts that came into him, is recognize who you are in Christ and recognize not all thoughts that come to you are from God or are from you. We live in a fallen world and not every thought that came to the first couple you know, Adam and Eve. Not all the thoughts that came to them were from God, nor were they from them. The minute Jesus got ready to go into the ministry, the first thoughts that came to him were not from God. They were not from himself. They were from the enemy. And why would the enemy inject thoughts that would almost seemingly seem like your own? To do exactly what he did to Adam and Eve to do exactly what he tried to do with Jesus, to deter them from their walk with God. You're not good enough. You're this. Do this. It'll be okay. Go down this wrong path. It won't hurt you. All the time he's thinking, oh, if I can get him to go down this path, I'm going to mess them up. Didn't he do that? I mean, you look at the introduction of, of humanity in the earth and their walk with God, that's exactly what happened. Then you see... The one who came to ransom man, the same thing happened. And so we need to recognize the minute we get saved, we're probably going to have a couple of bad thoughts that are come. What for? To 
try to deter you. And those thoughts may come. It's very interesting. In the Old Testament, there are what the Bible calls a type or a shadow of baptism. The Bible said when God brought all the covenant people or the people of Israel out of Egypt, most people have seen the movie The Ten Commandments. And then Moses lifts up his rod. Now remember, Moses is a deliverer. He's kind of a picture of Jesus who is to come. He's going to bring his people out of sin. Anybody who wants to come can come. And then the, one of the first things he does is the glory of God starts showing up. Remember, it said we were raised by the glory of the Father. And then the glory is over them, and here they go in this new life. And it, the, the Bible's clear. It said that all the children of Israel were baptized by Moses in the sea, in the wilderness. So when they all went through the Red Sea, anybody remember the Red Sea? You see, open up the sea, and they all went through in the wall. And then when they went through, remember what happened? That all those evil people that they had been in bondage to tried to come and pursue them and kill them. And what happened? They came up, and the enemy was destroyed. When you get saved, your enemies are destroyed. You actually have victory over them. The problem is we haven't been taught, so we don't do what the Bible said and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But you actually have victory, and so instead of people telling them they have victory, they talk about how big the devil is. And the devil has been whipped. He's no match for God in you. That's why he said resist him. Some people said, well, you know, God's sovereign. He is. All that means is he's all-powerful. That doesn't mean he does everything. He lets you do all kinds of things. That's why he said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. In other words, we should rise up against those things that would say, uh, you're just bad after you've given your life to the Lord and guilt tries to come move in and live in your head. Uh-uh. Not here. Right? Hey, man, if, if some people came and started camping in my front yard, I didn't know who they were, and they're pooping all over the, well, I was going to say the lawn, the rocks and everything, I'm probably going to be like, you know, I appreciate, you know, I realize you're going through a hard time, but you are not camping here. You, you get. And when the enemy comes and starts camping in people's heads and starts telling you how bad you are and how you're this, that, and the other, you need to do exactly what Jesus said and know who you are and tell him you're going to have to go camp in somebody else who's more stupid than you. Somebody may not like that, but didn't the Bible say to cast down vain imaginations? Didn't it? Didn't it say fiery darts come against people who are Christians and you are to quench them with the shield of faith? That's with the truth. So when you get a squatter, no wonder they call them squatters, uh, you need to say, no, you don't. I'm thinking a new way. God is for me. And didn't the Bible say if God is for me, who and what can be against me? Those are not just theories. They're not just good ideas. They are things for you to clean things out of your thought life so you can live and get those things extinguished. God is for you, period. That's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
No wonder we're to be careful how we talk about other Christians. Why? Because if I start talking bad about them, I've already been told God is for them. And God takes it personally, so he's for believers. Perfect and non-perfect, and you'll never find perfect by action. But you can find perfect by his work. So we've been buried, raised, made alive together. In verse 5, notice, even when we were dead, that spiritual death, in trespasses, and in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace or by his gift, you have been saved or made new. Verse 6, another step. And raised up together and made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ. This is a huge area that is hardly trampled on in the church world. The Christian is not just wandering around like a beggar on the earth. Technically, and we, we've already seen it, actually it was in one of the other verses we looked at. If you would keep reading, these terms are there. We've been raised up, and positionally, I'm not physically in heaven, but the way God looks at it is like you're seated with Christ. He didn't die for himself. He wasn't exalted for himself. He wasn't seated for himself. He was raised and exalted and seated for humanity. Let me read this again. And he raised us up together, in case you're thinking it was just out of old life, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, or eons, or all the different dispensations, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is something the church world needs to know. He tells us in the verses before, the, bo the whole body of Christ is raised up above all the enemies. And we as a body, so if you're just part of the foot, he said it's all under the feet. Christ is the head, we are the body. The body is made up of saved people. I'm going to read a couple of things real quick. So we were crucified, buried, raised, made alive, and exalted. What he did for mankind, he did in the place of mankind. So there's not anybody out there who's bad where Christ didn't die for them. And he did it to meet all the need of mankind because mankind could not meet this out himself. And it was through, it was though, or I should say it like this, it was though you did it with him or you did it on your own. Meaning God looks at it like everything was paid for completely for you, like you were there. So notice, baptism is an action of faith in the work of God. Baptism is me identifying with what Christ did, showing how he died, was buried, and rose to new life. So now that I've received Jesus, I'm acting my faith of this death, burial, and resurrection, and living to new life. 
Why do we get baptized? I'm going to close with this verse in Acts, the 8th chapter. Why do we get baptized? All through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, people are encouraged and told to act on their faith. Before they experience anything, before they see anything, they are encouraged to act on their faith. In the Old Testament, there was a time God said, I have already given you the city of Jericho. Now go march around the walls. But the walls were still standing. The gates were closed. And they went and did it. And as they acted, the walls fell down. How can you act like you were buried and died and rose and walk in new life? That's why there's baptism. It is an action of faith telling the world, this is what happened to me spiritually. I am telling you by my actions, I already received the Lord. Everything he bought and paid for is mine. I'm just acting it out, going down into the water, coming back up. This person who's doing it is just not, it's, it's not the Lord. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a human, but it's representative of the, the Lord doing it. Are you with me? And when they come up, it's a symbol of being clean. And now I'm going to walk this new life. When we act that way in faith, there will be things that sometimes that are on people that have kind of held them that just get broken free. Are you with me? But either way, it will be a help. I know I was talking to somebody who said, man, after I got baptized, it made a huge change in my life. I had been a Christian, and it was like a break. Right. It's because it was an action in line or an action of faith in line with the Lord did. So here in Acts, the 8th chapter, I'm going to read verse 36, and um, then we're going to go ahead and let the, the uh, people who are getting baptized go, and then we're going to finish up with a couple of things. Acts 8, verse 36. It says, um, well, let's, let's go to verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began to... Uh, began at this scripture preaching Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, so Philip is preaching to this guy who doesn't know the Lord. And as they came to some water, the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me or stops me from being baptized? So Philip is preaching to this person saying, you know, talking to him from the book of Isaiah, which is in the Bible, about Jesus dying, Jesus rising from the dead. And this guy's like, I, I, here's, here's water, can I get baptized? He's thinking, this is what I need. And, but he makes this statement, what hinders me or what would stop me? And Peter is, or Philip is going to answer him and say, this is what stops you from being baptized. In other words, this is what you need to do first. He said, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's when he got saved. So now he can get baptized. 
Because Romans 10, 9 says that if you will believe that Jesus or that God raised Jesus from the dead, in other words, that he died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead, and then you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. So what did he tell him to do? Exactly how to get saved. You got to believe it with your heart. And then when he said, I believe, he said, he made the declaration, Jesus is my Lord. So what happened to him? He was made alive. All that we read about that occurred spiritually made new life come into him. And so now he's ready to get baptized. And so then Philip said, here's what you need to do. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Then verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. So he stops the chariot right there in this river and it's full immersion all the way down. There's discussion. How should it be sprinkling? Should it be, how should it be? Well, if you know this idea that, about what we talked about, it's being buried with him, not sprinkled with dirt with him. Just a side thought. I mean, all the way down, all the way up. It's a picture. It's a picture of buried with, and it's a picture of cleaning and cleansing. And he said, then you're able to do it. They stopped, and he went down into the water, and he baptized him there. And it says, now when they came up out of the water, they went down in, baptized him, came back out. What a cool day for that Ethiopian eunuch. This high official from this other country got saved, gave his life to the Lord, and then immediately went and got baptized. He identified publicly in front of this whole group of people that were traveling with him because he was somebody of great authority who would have other people traveling with him. And they watched the boss go down in after giving it, making a public confession and going down in. Are you with me? They went down in. 